0: Come to the virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Martin Mangual, Dairy Educator in the West Side of the State. In today's episode, educator Marianne Moroski interviewing Dr. Matt Gammons. Their topic? Carbon credits. What are they? How do they work? That and more in the episode to come. Marianne, let's get started. Welcome to the virtual coffee break with MSU Extension Dairy Team. I'm uh, Ann Morosky, the Dairy Educator in the Thumb, and my guest today is Dr. Matt Gammons.
1: Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here.
0: Matt, can you tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an assistant professor in agricultural food and resource economics here at Michigan State. Um, And my research really focuses on uh, kind of on farm production issues so kind of what are the sort of factors that are determining technology adoption on farm and ultimately determining farm profitability, Um, including a focus on uh, both kind of the impacts of, of adapting to climate change from a farmer's perspective, as well as kind of what are some of the opportunities to take advantage of programs like carbon credits.
0: Wonderful. As uh, Dr. Matt mentioned, we are talking about carbon credits today. Can you go ahead and just give us a a little bit of an explanation as to what exactly a carbon credit is?
1: It's a little tricky because a carbon credit is really, you know, more of an idea than a physical thing. But the the idea here is that, you know, there's a lot of companies and governments um, that really have an interest in reducing carbon emissions. So the idea is that there's greenhouse gases going out into the atmosphere from pretty much everything that we do, you know, driving a car, making just about anything, you know, all of these have greenhouse gases associated with them. And this is leading to climate change. And to combat that, people want to kind of find ways to cheaply and affordably uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And, you know, one idea that people have is, you know, hey, maybe ag can be part of this. Um, and basically, by tracking changes in practices that might lead to lower emissions, um, and then having farmers get paid for them. So the idea is that if you look at other sectors, it might be really costly to reduce emissions. So maybe there's a way for ag to kind of have a a lower cost option. But the idea is that, you know, you change some practice, and that that represents some change in emissions. So you you could have just continued doing, you know, a certain practice, you change to a lower emissions alternative, uh, and they're going to kind of credit you um, with this idea of an emissions ultimately, hopefully, if, if the markets are operating well, um, you know, that change in practice um, should create a carbon credit that's going to be, you know, able to be sold. And ultimately, farmers are going to be compensated for their effort in, in changing practices.
0: It deals a lot with specifically soil carbon. So how do you test for that?
1: There's a few different ways that we might think about a carbon credit in act. So one is not necessarily related to the soil, but just, you know, if you had a a practice that was really emissions intensive, maybe thinking about nitrogen fertilizer, a a change in practices there uh, might be lower emissions, um, even if it's not necessarily sequestering more carbon in the soil. But certainly the the biggest streamers out there are really excited about this idea of of soil carbon sequestration, where you're actually taking soil kind of out of the atmosphere and holding it in in kind of a really carbon-rich soil structure, keeping the carbon in the soil where we want it rather than in the atmosphere. So that's absolutely kind of one of the, the drivers of these programs is looking for good ways to do that and compensating people who do that. And of course that involves measurement and that's um, you know really a tricky piece because it's, it's really hard to measure soil carbon accurately. So a lot of these programs take kind of a two-pronged approach. The main gist of them still today even though we've seen improvements in measuring it's still a lot of modeling. Um, they're gonna kind of take information uh, about your farm, about your practices And look, in general, we know that on this type of land, for this type of irrigation scheme, uh, maybe with this type of tiling, um, these change in practices lead to this amount of reduced emissions. And we're just going to kind of assume that that's the case. And then that second prong comes in kind of as a fact check. And that's where people kind of might be out to a farm to physically uh, test the carbon in the soils. And there's a lot of different tests that are adopted and I think not even every carbon credit program is using exactly the same testing procedure, um, but this is where they would actually would take a sample of the soil, you know, take it back to the lab to get some estimate. But again, on 100 acres, the soil carbon from, you know, one little piece, that might not be super representative of everything that's going on on farm. Um, so that's kind of why, that's kind of why you, they do both. So neither method is perfect on their own. And, you know, to be frank, they're not even perfect together, but it's just kind of a, a way to kind of improve the overall measurement.
0: Okay, so it's kind of a both and scenario.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So,
0: what kind of uh, agricultural practices are most commonly earning carbon credits?
1: There's three that jump to mind as like the most common. In, in row crop agriculture, it's, it's really cover cropping and reducing tillage. Those are kind of the the big two in terms of opportunities to enroll in these programs. When we look at dairies in particular. Uh, that's where we start to see things like, you know, biogas and really a focus on methane, um, as well as manure management. I'd still think overall kind of taking a a big picture of Michigan ag, the big two are still, you know, cover cropping and reducing tillage.
0: What if I'm already doing these practices on my farm?
1: Concepts related to these programs, it's kind of a big scary word that gets thrown around sometimes called additionality. Um, and, And what that means is, because carbon credits are really a conceptual idea, it's a comparison, right? We want to compare the emissions that kind of would have happened in kind of some, you know, make-believe scenario where these practices weren't changed to what actually happened based on the practices changing. Because of that, it's important for the consumer side, the, the demand side of this, of this carbon market, that the changes that are made, you know, wouldn't have happened otherwise. So there's really a reward. You know, all of this is building up to the bad news. Uh, which is that if you've already been doing kind of some of these great practices that are associated with you know, positive soil health that you know, people are you know, encouraging you to do, maybe in part because uh, they have kind of nice carbon benefits, it's gonna be harder to enroll in these programs than if you're not currently doing them. I mean, these programs, they're not like a moral kind of thumbs up sticker. That's a, it's a payment for a specific benefit that someone wants to pay for. Um, if you aren't doing these programs, it might be easier to find kind of a buyer. You could think of it to, in terms of paying you to change. Now, I think that you know, because of some of the, the good work that's been done by kind of the ag community and kind of getting their story out there and highlighting, hey, this you know, doesn't make a lot of sense. I think there is increasing potential to claw back some of that um, in terms of having some opportunities for people who have already been doing these practice to, to see a financial benefit from it. There's been some money from USDA, actually, that's kind of a call went out just recently um, that's looking to potentially fund programs that would be able to fund some farmers who have already been doing these practices. But overall, it's true. If you've already been doing these practices, it's gonna be more of an uphill battle um, versus someone who who hasn't kind of engaged in any of these practices before.
0: I think that makes sense. I I guess the question is if I'm doing these practices and someone and I'm interested in being able to sell some carbon credits, it it almost sounds like at this point, in order to sell carbon credits, I would have to stop doing those practices. So say I'm cover cropping. So what do I do? Just not plant cover crops for a year and then start again? I I mean, is that kind of the situation that it's in where you would almost have to stop doing a practice that, that you say you've been doing it because it improves your soil health, and then you stop plant, planting cover crops for a year, and then you would be available to maybe have carbon credits?
1: Yeah, so your your story is definitely like highlighting kind of how how absurd some of these kind of additionality rules can be, um, because that's exactly, you know, that's, that's kind of terrible from a carbon perspective, uh, because if you, you know, you stop these practices, I mean, maybe one year it's fine, but if you start for a kind of, uh, uh, you know, a long period of time, and especially related to tillage, you can kind of undo a lot of the the carbon gains that have that you've accomplished. Um, so my advice would be um, a, a couple different pieces. So one is, you know, you don't don't self eliminate yourself, right? You know, if this is something that you're interested in, even if you're doing these practices, reach out to to some of these programs um, and just say, you know, hey, I heard about. That you're, you know, in the carbon market and interested in rolling farms and and I'm interested too, and I'd I'd like to hear more about it. So, you know, these are, these are salespeople, right? These are people who want to talk to you. They want to give you a pitch um, and they, they really want to work with you. So, you know, it's in their interest to kind of, you know, strike a deal that works and there, you know, maybe opportunities that are easier than you might think. So, So my first advice would be, you know, don't rule yourself out on your own, you know, get, get a little bit more information and then related to kind of stopping and restarting. I mean at the end of the day, you know, if they don't provide incentives for people, these programs are really profitable and they're really preventing people who've already done these practices from getting in. I mean, yeah, we're going to see kind of kind of adverse bad outcomes like that that no one no one really wants. But yeah, I mean, if that's the sort of thing that gets incentivized, I'm sure that we'll see that. But I would definitely have I would advise a little bit of caution because some of them it's not just one year. They're looking back, you know, 5 years that you have to document that you um, you know, sharing all the practices that you're doing. So it's it's not clear that you can necessarily kind of easily outgame the system. But I totally agree with you. That's you know that's this is something that comes up and this is something that I think the markets need to think really clearly about. Like yes, you know, they want additional carbon, but they also you know shouldn't want to kind of reward um kind of these you know, create crazy games that, you know, I call them crazy, but they make perfect sense, right? If you're, if you're not willing to pay someone to do something unless they stop, then people will stop and restart. So yeah, I think that's a great example that that illustrates how important it is that we get a bit more policy clarity on this.
0: What types of practices would be specific to to dairy?
1: So I think the big one is really biogas. And so anaerobic digestive. One thing I, I, I probably should have mentioned earlier is that there's, there's kind of different There are different flavors of these markets from the farmer's perspective, kind of everything that we see on the table. And I think anything that we're likely to see over the next five or even 10 years is going to be voluntary. And part of that is because, you know, there's a lot of people don't like to be regulated for a lot of reasons. You know, just the paperwork alone can be a hassle. So I think there's, you know, an appropriate pushback against the idea of kind of a mandatory program. And then the second piece that I alluded to earlier is that measurement is so hard. I mean, it just wouldn't make sense to have a mandatory program when you can't measure you know, very precisely. But from the firm perspective, um, you know, there are entities that are regulated. So if you look at California, they have kind of their renewable fuel standard and oil companies and carbon intensive industries are regulated and they are under a cap. Um, and what they can do is they can kind of strike a deal with farmers to, basically pay farmers to adopt practices that kind of gives them a little bit more wiggle room on their cap, right? So, um, you know, rather than kind of making all the big reductions themselves, they're going to pay farmers to change practices and then they don't have to make as many changes themselves. So, so there's the, the total amount of carbon that's kind of being reduced is the same. It's just who's doing the reducing and then, you know, who's who's getting paid. So the idea is that farmers do a bit of the reducing and then they also are, Know somewhat compensated for that. And because of this, California policy in particular has really driven an increase in payments for anaerobic digestion. So even farmers who are outside of the state of California uh, potentially can can get kind of included in this marketplace through contracts with California-based entities. So again, it's a it's a little nuanced. So it's it's voluntary from the farmer's perspective. You know, you don't have to have anything to do with California if you don't want to, but if you do, if there's an opportunity, um, then the fact that they have a mandatory program kind of increases the demand um, for some of these practices. So as I said earlier, you know anaerobic digestion um, is the big one, and there's actually um, and this is happening in Michigan. So you know since 2008, I think there's been about a dozen facilities have gone in, and there's actually four under construction right now. So this is um, this is already happening. These are kind of anaerobic digestion facilities that have kind of a contract with kind of various organizations who are looking to kind of cost share on the front end and then make a continuous payment um, on the back end. As kind of a, a rule of thumb, uh, some of my my colleagues at the University of California, Davis have done a calculation on kind of how much this, this would cost. And it, it comes out to about, you know, $636 per cow to install one of these. Now, some of that can you know, potentially be, be lowered through a cost share where you get a government grant to, to kind of reduce that upfront cost, but still typically the math kind of shows that you know, this is not going to be feasible unless you're talking about kind of an operation with around 3,000 cows. So this is really not for kind of you know, smaller operations. This is something that you know once you're kind of at a, at a large scale, it, it might, be, might be something to look at.
0: Anaerobic digesters are, they're optional, um, you know, or voluntary, and you, you can get some cost share in building them. But once you have them built, you're now eligible for some type of carbon credit payment. Is that correct? Potentially, I guess. Yes.
1: Yeah. So so what, what this calculation would look like is kind of basically a, a, a few steps. So one, what would be kind of the, the methane emissions that kind of would have happened if it, if it wasn't for this facility? And then there's kind of a conversion to, to convert those methane units into a, a carbon dioxide equivalent. Methane and carbon dioxide, both greenhouse gases. Methane is actually a lot more potent in terms of kind of a, a per ton warming uh, unit. And then uh, that can be converted then into kind of a, a carbon credit, um, you know, kind of a basically a certificate of emissions reduction that then can potentially be sold on this carbon credit marketplace. So so there's kind of the, uh, a bit of help in, in the upfront payments, but then the, kind of the, the real money comes kind of after the fact when you're able to, to sell these credits uh, on a marketplace. Um, and then kind of, you know, how profitable it is depends on kind of, you know, what's the prevailing price for a carbon credit in that time period.
0: Do you know how much a month a 3,000 cow dairy could, with an anaerobic digester could expect to get? from carbon credits? Like, I know that I'm kind of throwing that question to you out of the field, but.
1: No, that's a fair question. This is something that's gonna be kind of farm specific in terms of whether it pencils out or not. You know, as I said before, you know, this is not something that you'd you'd talk about for, you know, a small scale farm, Um, but certainly kind of when things are kind of up and rolling, I I do think that there's a potential if it's done right um, to have a, a profit opportunity.
0: In your opinion, can they be profitable? Are are they worth looking into and actually considering? I feel in the past anaerobic digesters aren't necessarily always profitable because they um, involve not only a lot of time management, but you're also feeding in a a lot of manure and the product that you get out in, in terms of manure solids to spread on the land isn't always you can kind of get like a little bit of a less land coverage with that product than you would with just regular manure. So does an anaerobic digester pencil out to be a profitable choice in most yeah. cases?
1: So I, I would think about, I mean, in most cases, you know, you know, probably probably not. There's four under construction in Michigan, right? You know, not 400. So, so this is something that it's, you know, not, not everyone is jumping at this. And I think for probably good reason as you know i i'm kind of you know coming at this more from maybe a, a row crop perspective than a dairy perspective so you know if, if you want to kind of jump in I, i'm happy to kind of have a back and forth but for, from my point of view i think you know if someone's like really happy with their manure management scheme currently you know don't throw a giant wrench in it you know if things are going well and you you're happy with the system you know i don't think that this carbon market is necessarily you know a reason to blow it up and start from scratch but if you're kind of you know troubleshooting this issue already and looking for ways to potentially, you know, make a profit with it. And you kind of have a, and you find the right partner, right? So this time management piece is huge. You know, this is, this is not something that you want as like a side job, like, unless you have some background in this, this is really, you know, it's not a fun hobby. Uh, It's, you know, a very, you know, professionalized industry. So if you find kind of an investor or, um, you know, a corporation or company that really wants to kind of spearhead this for you on your farm and manage it, um and you're kind of happy with kind of the the piece of the the profit that you'd split with them um that would be the setting where i think it it would work um you know i wouldn't kind of advise yeah you do not want to be the person managing this if you run a dairy you don't you probably you just don't have time <laughs> i don't think this any way so um so yeah so the time management piece is huge um so you have to you have to hire that out i think that's a kind of a must do for this these types of schemes to work
0: In the dairy industry, there have been an increase in feed additives that reduce the amount of methane that a cow produces. Um, Is that something you can earn carbon credits off of?
1: So this is what's most exciting to me. Um, So, well, let me start with the bad news. You know, right now, I I think I haven't seen kind of a a lot of the, the major players have a lot of excitement about kind of carbon credits for feed additives. But I, I think that that's an, another piece where like the ag community again, maybe needs to work on kind of doing some communication and some, some advertising for ourselves because I think there's a, a real opportunity for there to be kind of you know low hanging fruit, you might call it in terms of you know just a simple change in diet um, that leads to kind of a, a reduction in the methane. Farmers should be compensated for that if there's this kind of whole market infrastructure in place and so I think I, I I really hope that we start to see more and more of these programs kind of taking advantage of that. You know, setting up payment schemes for people who who make the switch. And what will that look like? Will this be a payment that kind of goes on forever? No, you know, probably not. Um, but you know, a few years of a payment as you switch, I think, and maybe a continuation where they agree to kind of pay the differential between a, a higher cost, lower emissions feed, and kind of just a regular baseline diet. I think that's something that's, it's, it's a real opportunity, I, I wish we were seeing more of it, I, I would definitely keep an eye out for it, because I think, you know, that's a way we're <laughs> building a methane, or sorry, but building like, you know, a biogas plant, that's, uh, you know, not something that everyone can do, but tweaking the diet to have a lower emissions, um, and that, that seems pretty, pretty possible.
0: And what about grazing cattle? Is there any type of carbon credit associated with that?
1: You know, I'd have to kind of look out west and see if maybe there's kind of programs that are getting built up there that are specifically targeted at grazing. I can say that in Michigan, I have not really seen anyone uh, getting a payment for changes to grazing practices. So if someone hears this and you're getting a carbon credit uh, for a change in grazing practice, please, please, please email me. Uh, But from, yeah, from what I've seen, it's you know, mostly row crops, some anaerobic digesters, um, and then um, maybe a few few things in fruit orchards here and there. But I I haven't heard of kind of a carbon credit going into a a grazing field in Michigan, at least. Let's
0: talk a little bit about who wants to buy these carbon credits. Who is approaching farmers to buy these carbon credits?
1: Who's approaching and then who's kind of driving the market are, are kind of two different sets of folks, I think I referenced earlier kind of these these salespeople and they typically are with kind of organizations that are actually looking to enroll farms and specialize in enrolling farms um, for the purpose of creating carbon credits. So these are kind of companies that are looking to be, you know, carbon credit generators, you could say. Um, And a lot of these names are gonna be familiar. You know, Corteva has a program um, that's getting up and rolling right now. Uh, Bayer has a program. So these are kind of, you know, household names. Um, A a big player in Michigan that is maybe less of a household name is Agoro. So they've really kind of taken, I think, a a Michigan focus, tried to be really good at kind of tailoring things to a Michigan context. So these are the programs that you would be face to face interaction. And yeah, and these companies kind of are are hoping to ultimately, you know, take these credits and and sell them to make their own profit. Um, And who they're selling them to uh, is often kind of large national corporations that have made these carbon neutral pledges and are looking to find ways to kind of pay people to reduce emissions again, so that kind of the, they don't have to reduce their own emissions as much, or, you know, maybe if you listen to them, they, you know, they want to do both because they want to kind of be, you know, really, really green and market that to consumers. But, but ultimately a lot of this is driven by voluntary actions by companies that really want to appear green um, and, you know, want to have kind of a list of actions that they've taken um, to try and evidence that.
0: Okay, so an agribusiness company that already interfaces with a farm is going to approach a farmer and talk to them about, um, okay, starting cover crops. And once you start cover crops, you would have the potential to sell so many carbon credits on your 500 acres. If you do cover crops on 500 acres, you would now have...
1: 500 acres, cover crops, we'd be thinking maybe a half credit per, per acre potentially, So so maybe 250 a year.
0: So 250 credits a year, uh, say, and this agribusiness company wants to, to buy them. And then that company is going to turn around and say, sell them to somebody who vowed to go carbon neutral by 2025, right? That means that agriculture doesn't really get credit for those carbon credits anymore, right? Once it's sold, you can't claim it. That means if I'm a dairy farmer and I have milk means more LLC. And I sold my carbon credits for my row crops as part of my LLC. I no longer can claim that I'm carbon positive or whatever the terminology is.
1: Oh, interesting. Might have to run back and consult my lawyer or something. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) I I, I think, uh, you know, you can sell carbon credits and tell consumers hey, I use cover crops on my land because it's good for the environment. I mean, that's not a crime. That's, that's you know, that that's totally honest and fine. Um, and yeah, and I think like potentially it, it could even be a plus, you know, enrolling in these carbon credit markets, um, you could use it as a signal uh, to consumers that, yeah, you, your, your practices are really green. In fact, they're so green that, you know, people want to pay me, you know, sequestering carbon. So, if it's just on a consumer marketing standpoint, legally and I'll even say ethically, I, I don't really see anything wrong with kind of sharing the information that you've made some green practices. But you know, if this is for kind of regulatory compliance, or if you know you're you're enrolled in kind of other government programs that are are motivated by you know reducing carbon emissions, that's where I would you know start to be really really careful because um, you know these markets, just like you know markets for milk or markets for grain, it's really premised on the idea that you only you know buy it once. Uh, you can't, you know, sell the same gallon of milk to two people. Um, and, and similarly, you kind of can't sell the same practice changes to two to two organizations. The short story is if if this is just about kind of communicating to consumers that you're a good steward of the land and kind of educating them on some of the practices that you do, I think that's great. This is something where, you know, you're kind of looking for, you know, every opportunity to squeeze every dollar out of that, you know, the, those carbon that you're sequestering. You know, that's fine too, but that requires, you know, a, a lot more care. Um, and I think a lot being really careful that you're you're presenting yourself honestly and, and not kind of trying to, to double dip.
0: That's a good answer, because my fear is that, you know, agriculture is going to do all of these green practices to reduce carbon emission, and then they're going to sell all those carbon credits uh, for extra income, because uh, we all know farming doesn't make anybody rich. Um, but they're going to sell all those carbon credits for extra income to reinvest in their businesses. And then it's going to still appear that agriculture is not an environmentally friendly organization or agriculture isn't doing their best as far as the environment. It'll definitely be interesting to see, but I think the way you, you said that it's always good to share your story about the environmental friendly practices that you're doing, I think is is always safe and honest. And honest. Yeah, I, I agree.
1: I think it's it's safe and it's right and it's honest. Yeah. I think how other people kind of tally up where the emissions are coming from, certainly you can make a case if someone else is paying for it, maybe they should get credit. So how these different reporting agencies or You know reports that come out that kind of you know decompose you know how much is attributable to this or that you know i don't i don't know that i can control that i don't know that i don't know that any one person can really control that but uh what you can control is kind of the information that you share and and what you do on your own farm so i think that's probably the, the best place to start
0: my last question is what is the price of carbon credits like right now
1: a standard rule of thumb right now carbon credit. So this is a a credit that's equal to, you know, one ton of CO2 reduction in emissions around $15. um, You know, you'll, you'll see people, you know, say maybe 20 or 25. Um, And then sometimes, you know, you have to be careful because, you know, people might say 25, but that's kind of the end use. So this is what, you know, maybe Bayer would sell it for, but really, you know, for, from a farmer perspective, it would be maybe more like $20. that's where the prices are at right now. If you kind of league ag- agriculture and talk to academics or the EPA, they might tell you that you know, carbon is worth you know, $50 a ton, um, and, but you know, you'll fi- have a hard time finding a buyer at $50 a ton. So there's, there's still this idea that you know, maybe what it's worth is different than what people are willing to pay right now. But you know, a, ton, a ton is kind of you know, hard to imagine, right? That's what, what exactly is a ton of CO2? We can't see it, it's invisible. Um, we already discussed how it's hard to measure. Um, so, you know, where does this translate in terms of kind of payments for specific practices, I think, kind of disappointingly low numbers right now is, is the is the real answer so um, you know I don't have all the numbers, you know, right on the tip of my fingers but we're talking about on the ballpark of six to maybe if you're lucky $12 an acre for kind of a change in, in cover cropping. And some you know some will even quote you numbers that are lower than that, so you know certainly anything less than five dollars an acre this is probably you know not worth the paperwork If you start to stack practices and your strategic kind know of have the type of land that's good at sequestering carbon, you know maybe you can start to get numbers that are you know up towards you know fifteen dollars an acre, which is where you know maybe this would start to you know be a factor but i think I think a lot of this is is this idea that these prices might go up right so um, so the, it's not that kind of you are locked in at $15 an acre, and you have no opportunity to see a plus side. It's actually the reverse. So typically, these companies will offer kind of a, a price floor, say, so you'll never get paid less than $15 a credit, sorry, a credit, not an acre. Um, but, you know, if this price goes up to you know, $30 or $40, or, you know, as I said before, you know, some people think these ought to be worth $50, you would be able to see kind of benefit from that, that price rise you know, like anything else, it really, you know, it depends on where the prices go, you know, whether should you grow, you know, corn or soy, or should you, you know, try and grow some carbon? Well, you know, tell me what the price is going to be in 10 years. Um, And and that can be hard to know. But the fact that, you know, companies are offering to, to provide a price floor, you know, gives you some indication that they at least really think the price will go up, you know, otherwise they wouldn't offer that floor.
0: So these price floors, is that something that would be in your contract with the agribusiness company that you sell your carbon to?
1: Yeah, so we haven't talked too much about contracts. I, I wanna emphasize that, you know, these contracts, they are not one size fit all and they are not all the same. So, you know, if you think, well, you know, everyone probably will give me the uh, an equally good contract, that is really not the case. You should really shop around and and if you can, I would really advise having a lawyer take a look at it before you you sign anything, because these can be, you know, really long-term contracts that, you know, the fine print can really make it different from a, a profitability standpoint. Um, but yes, you know, this. All of these kind of you know what happens if the price goes up what happens if the price goes down what happens if I change these practices and i'm doing everything right, but you can watch my farm and you can't measure, you know an emissions. Uh, sorry, a soil carbon increase, um, you know all those things are things that should be you know delineated and and certainly the, the big one is how long is this commitment for so. Um, you know, a typical contract is 10 years, this is something and, and this is a point of frustration, I know, too, is kind of if you're renting land. You can't sign a 10 year contract, even if this is something that maybe you would be interested in doing. This is something that you you'd have to collaborate with on uh, with the landowner um, or more realistically, you know, potentially the landowner would kind of be the the instigator of this and would go out and find a renter who wanted to participate. Long contracts, lots of fine print, just like anything else, you know, slow and steady and careful before you kind of commit to a bunch more paperwork, I think is is the best choice.
0: Thank you so much. Um, I feel like I have a a much better understanding of uh, carbon credits and kind of what the industry is kind of currently looking uh, like right now. So I really appreciate you uh, joining us. Um, And uh, if someone wanted to get a hold of you after this podcast, they
1: can find you on the MSU website. Yep. Matt, ag economist, MSU. Yeah, definitely shoot me an email. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks, Marianne and Dr. Gammons, for today's conversation. I know many producers will appreciate the knowledge shared in today's episode. Often we hear how carbon credits are gaining interest in the farming community. To all the listeners, stay tuned as this season is just getting started and many new episodes are on their way. Until the next episode, I hope you'll join us then.